0: 4, verse 23 through 31. If you're ready, let's read it together. It says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all that is within them. Who by the mouth of your servant David said, Why did the nations rage and why did the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, "...with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit." And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Father, thank you for your word tonight. And I pray that that same Holy Spirit that filled them in Acts chapter 4 would fill us tonight. We give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Tonight, I want to continue on my teaching series, Fire Starters. We started this last week uh, on on Wednesday, but actually we kind of culminated that uh, and began that on Wednesday. Uh, as, or, I'm sorry, a couple of Sundays ago, rather, when we were talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so, what did we learn? We learned that God's desire was to fill and empower the church with the Holy Spirit to go out into the world and do the work. Last week, we talked about possessed, possession with the intent to distribute. We talked about what does it mean when somebody's busted with a lot of drugs, let's just say a whole car load or a truckload they don't get just get a drug charge but they get um, they get busted basically with the charge that says they had enough and they were trying to distribute it and we looked at acts chapter 3 where the man was at the gate called beautiful and the disciples were looking and they said silver and gold have i none but such that i have i give to you in the name of Jesus christ of Nazareth rise up and walk what are great summation of last week's message was this, you cannot give away what you don't possess and we also, on the back of that, we talked about how the baptism of the Holy Spirit the power, the tongues all of the things that come packaged with the baptism of the Holy Spirit does not come to us just so that we can have a good church service, not just so that we can shout and have goosebumps and sing a great song that God gives us power to be a witness Amen? God gives us power to be a witness. And I also said last week, and I'll say it again for those in the back, the devil does not care if you come to church and have great church, roll on the floor, prophesy to each other, speak in tongues, as long as you don't take it outside of the four walls of the church. Because in here is a safe place. But how many of you know this devil's out there? There is the enemy out there, and we have to face a world. Every time we leave This training ground right here the local church. And so the experience that we receive is not just for a great Sunday, but to give us an empowered Monday, an empowered Tuesday, an empowered Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. God wants us to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. Tonight, though, I want to continue into Acts chapter 4, and we're going to look at a message that I've entitled tonight, A Recipe for Revival a recipe for revival. I want you to notice I picked my wording wisely. I did not say the recipe for revival because there's some other keys that we can find in Scripture. But tonight, I've called it a recipe for revival for a reason because these are some things that when you put them together, they will get you going in the right direction. So tonight, we're going to look at this, and I believe it will be very important. You know, I think that we have to realize tonight that we need an awakening. We need an encounter with God. This nation needs to be shaken from its foundation. Amen. From the greatest corridors of the White House to our communities, to the rural areas, we need a shaking by the power of God. We absolutely, positively need God to shake us and to wake us out. We call it revival. Oftentimes you think about revival, people just have this mentality in the Pentecostal circles that revival is this three or four-day meeting. Used to be, they used to be seven-day meetings, two-week meetings, three-week meetings that we schedule on a calendar with a shiny-haired guest speaker who sings great songs and travel with a soundtrack and his wife could play piano. Come on, somebody. That's what we think of. But listen, God does not want us to think about revival as a three-day, four-day meeting that when the preacher leaves, all the fun stops. God wants us to realize that revival or awakening is not an event. It is a lifestyle. It is the lifestyle of the New Testament church. I believe that if he came in a blaze of glory, he doesn't want us to leave out of here in smoldering ashes. He wants us to have the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe it was the late, great Leonard Ravenhill, the author of Why Revival Tarries, that said this, Revival costs the same in every generation. It never goes on sale. Revival costs the same in every generation. It never goes on sale. You see, there are some people who sit around waiting for that thing that they love to go on sale. You're watching the stores, you're watching the outlets, you're waiting on Good Friday, and you're waiting to get that good deal. But I want to assure you something tonight. If you're expecting revival to go on sale, it never goes on sale. It costs the same in every single generation. And oftentimes, people just simply don't want to pay the price. The truth is that the church has become spiritually lethargic in our nation. Can I preach to us for a moment? We have our nice air-conditioned buildings, which we're thankful for tonight. We have our cush-padded pews, which we're thankful for tonight. We have our bright, shiny screens, which we're thankful for tonight. But don't you dare disturb us. We want the preacher to preach something to make us happy. We want the preacher to preach something that preaches about everybody else else's problems, but just don't talk about what I'm dealing with. Come on, somebody. We want Christianity light and nothing less. And we wonder why we don't have revival in today's nation. You can get people to come out for a barbecue, but you cannot get them to come out for a prayer meeting. You don't believe me? You should have been here 30 minutes ago. God wants to shake our nation. And he wants to do something in our generation. He doesn't want us to look back at Azusa Street, look back at Brownsville, or even look back at the book of Acts and say, wow, how great was that? He wants us to press in to something great in our generation. God wants us to see what he can do. But we don't want to be shaken. We don't want to have anything to be asked of us. But let me just tell you the truth tonight. Here within lies the answer. The church grows and thrives the best under pressure. The church does its best under pressure. So when you look at this, the shaking of nations and the birth of great movements can all be traced back to one thing. And it's, it's a Travis Tritt song. T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Trouble. Trouble. Trouble the early church was born in a blaze in a blaze of glory but they were not without their trouble they had hard times they were persecuted they were pressed down and the bible says that that whenever they were Persecuted, they begin to grow. In fact, it was the persecution of the Book of Acts church that caused them to spread into the other nations of the world. See, the enemy thinks that, that he can persecute us and he can stop us. But I got news for somebody. When you put the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in a corner, we come out swinging, and it's time for us to get out of our lazy boy recliners and get our battle shoes on and get out and do something for Jesus. Come on, somebody. That's where we need to be tonight. Hallelujah. That's what we got to do. We got to get out there and we got to fight. But so many people don't want to be shaken out of their slumber. Well, I'm telling you, you're in the wrong place tonight. The early church, they dealt with this trouble. Now, I want you to notice something. The early church... the the early the apostles the disciples those who were planting churches those who were paving the way I, I need you to get this because they didn't have big fancy degrees from the greatest universities they didn't have big donors backing their ministry they didn't have the hottest political candidates giving them an endorsement but what they had was the power of the Holy Spirit and when you've got the Holy Spirit on your side there ain't a devil in hell that can stop you there's not a demon in the world that can stop you when the power of God is on your side, and the name of Jesus is on your side, and the agenda of God's kingdom is the forefront of your life. And so they went out there shaking the nations because they were endued with power. In Acts chapter 3, we see the healing of a lame man. You would think that the healing of this lame man would cause everybody to be happy. After all, they passed him day after day. After all, they saw him there begging. After all, wouldn't anybody be happy that another beggar was off the street? Another person wasn't bothering us for a handout? You'd think everybody would be rejoicing. But that simply wasn't the case because there were some people that were upset. So we begin to read down the end of Acts chapter 3. This man is leaping and rejoicing and praising God, and his testimony is not one that's just verbalized, but it's visualized. Everybody can see that this man was here one day, and now he's here the next. He was debilitated one moment, mobilized the next, dancing, rejoicing, and praising God. But then Acts chapter 4, as we begin to pick this up, what we begin to find is that people were not happy about it. They were upset that this man was made whole. But I want you to know it wasn't the miracle that they were upset about. It was the method that they were upset about. And in this particular passage tonight, we see several things. And I want you to look at these with me. The first thing that we see, number one, is we see persecution. We see persecution. The pressure was on because they challenged the power structure. You see, this man was outside of the gate begging day after day, week after week. And what we see is that is that uh, he had been there and all the religious people passed him by and they passed him by and they passed him by. Nobody had the power to pull him up. But one day after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the disciples of Jesus came by and said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this man began to get up and walk. And like I said a moment ago, you You would think everybody would be happy about it, but they weren't. You know why? Because the demonstration of power challenged their structure. It began to expose the inadequacies of the day. You know what Jesus said about the Pharisees and about others? He says, they have a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. The issue wasn't the miracle. The issue was, who did the miracle? You see, when the apostles were arrested, they were upset. The people were. They were demanding them not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus and don't don't go talking about his name. And the apostles said, guys, what, what do you think? You don't think that we healed this man, do you? And I think that's so important because so many people who oftentimes are successful in healing the sick and used by God in that way, almost think that they possess the power. But the disciples didn't say that. They said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. The power flowed through them. But it was the name of Jesus that healed this man. And guess what? They said, guys, we didn't do it. Jesus did it. And they said, all right, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to silence you. We're going to shut you up. We're going to close your mouth. Because the enemy is always fighting against the name of Jesus. He doesn't like it. you got to ask yourself the question, why is it that the name of Jesus is hated over every other religious name in the world? You can go to the Supreme Court and you can pray in in the name of a man or a woman, however they say. You can make a mockery over Christianity, but they do not want you to say the name of Jesus. They don't want to hear about the Bible. They don't want to hear about the Ten Commandments. They don't want to hear about anything. Isn't it funny they don't protest the Book of Mormon? Isn't it funny they don't uh, protest some of the other things? Why? Because they recognize the power that comes from God, God's Word, and God's Son, the name of Jesus Christ. You see the fight that you and I are in today is a fight of persecution. Our the things that we go through in our nation are much different than happens in other places of the world. I just have to say it tonight we're blessed. But our blessing is turned into a curse because we're coddled. You know, in Malaysia and Pakistan and India and other far-flung places of the world where the name of Jesus is not named greatly, where there is Muslim domination and, and things of that nature, you have to really fight to be a Christian. You've got to sacrifice some things. You, you can't just be a half-hearted one way in and one way out. You've got to be all the way in. Even going to church in one of those nations is risky. If you get caught, you can get killed. They can kill your family. They can do all types of things, but people are willing to risk it because they figure that the cause of Christ is worth dying for. You know, it's always troubled me that there's some people say, I'll I'll die for Jesus, but you won't even live for him. Come on, somebody. How can you give him your life if you can't even give him two hours on Sunday? Oh, I'm preaching good now. Persecution. Is what we're facing in this, in this world. And we, we're going to see it differently in America. It may not look like it, it looks like in other nations, but we're going to see it. Mark my word. Say, Pastor, that's negative. No, it's Bible. Mind us not forget America is not mentioned in the Bible, at least directly. But also, as far as I can tell, the scripture says before the battle of armageddon most every nation will turn against israel and america is going to find itself crossways with god now hopefully i'm going to be out of here by then i don't know about you i'm a pre-tribber i'm going out on the first bus available if you want to stay for the antichrist and have cupcakes with him that's up to you but i plan on getting out of here But let me tell you, the fight that we're in is always a spiritual fight. And it's a fight against good and evil. And ultimately, it's against the name of Jesus and against the adversary. Isn't that interesting today? That the enemy has crept into most preaching in our nation. You don't believe me? Turn on Christian television. Find some of the preachers on YouTube. YouTube. There's an absence of teaching on the blood. There's an absence of teaching on the name. There's an absence of teaching on hell, heaven. There's an absence of teaching on the rapture of the church. There's an absence of teaching on anything that makes us feel convicted. And it's got us to the point where our flesh is so coddled that we turn away and run anytime somebody doesn't shake our hand, doesn't speak to us the way we think they should, or whatever. Folks, let me tell you something. If you can't run with the footmen, how will you ever keep up with the horses? It's going to get worse from here. The enemy is always fighting against the name of Jesus. And I want you to see something. These disciples were under pressure. They were told, you better not preach in the name of Jesus. But what did they do? Did they tuck tail? Did they run? Did they say, okay, you're right. After all, we have to obey the government. Let me just talk to you about that. Romans does tell us to obey the the governing authorities and the law of the land. But the catch 22 there that the Scripture shows us, and there's precedent from the Old Testament to the New, is that we obey the law of the land up until it starts to disobey the Word of God. And so listen, in Daniel's day, they said, don't pray. What did he do? They prayed. When we see Pharaoh in Egypt, the midwives were ordered to kill all the male children. What did those convicted midwives do? They said, no, we're, not, we're going to disobey. There were times in the New Testament where they disobeyed the law because God's law superseded the natural law. And let me tell you something, it doesn't matter what the government says, it doesn't matter what anybody else says, because don't you, don't you even think for a moment, everybody's been pushed to online, social media, YouTube, and I like all that and I use all that, but let me tell you something, you go to preaching about some stuff on YouTube, they cut you off. They cut you off. They turn you off. They won't let you broadcast on their channel. I was talking to to Pastor John Parrish. He's going to be a guest speaker for us on September 19th. I was talking to his son, and he said, we've been suspended on YouTube now for six months. For preaching about homosexuality and transgenderism and all those things. And, you know, there's some people say, well, you know, I want to stay on YouTube, so I don't want to say anything. That's what the enemy wants us to do. He's got us so focused outside of the local church that he's causing us to be quiet and we don't even realize it. In some nations of the world, our northern neighbors, Canada, you cannot talk about homosexuality on Christian television. The first time you're fined, like, I think it's $150,000. Second time you're fined, like, half a million dollars. Third time, and you're cut off completely. That's not Iraq. It's Canada. Because truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. Amen? Amen. We see persecution, but what happened when the church was pushed in a corner? Are you ready? Here's the next thing we see we see prayer. They didn't fuss, they didn't complain, they didn't quit. They went to the one who could do something about it. So, what did they do? They went back, the Bible says, they went back all into their own company the disciples, after they were told, you can't preach anymore in this name, they all came back together and they got in a place of prayer. Can I tell you tonight, we have underestimated and we have devalued the ministry of prayer. Prayer is so important. It is more important. You might not believe this. Prayer is more important than preaching. You don't believe me? Jesus didn't go in the temple and say, you turned uh, my, my father's house into a den of thieves. I've called it to be a house of preaching. He didn't say that. That doesn't mean preaching's not important. It's very important. Teaching is very important. But he said, My father's house should be called a house of prayer. Preaching, or prayer rather, is more important than preaching. Prayer is communicating and dialecting with our father. And what did they do when they found themselves in a corner? They went to prayer. Can I tell you something? I'm about to blow your mind with this statement. Do you know why people would rather listen to preaching than pray? Because preaching only costs the person who's preaching something. But prayer costs everybody something. Oh, let me say that again. We want to go to a church where the preacher can preach good. We want to homily three points in a poem and the Greek and the Hebrew and, and to tell us the intricate meanings of the Scripture. But listen, I'm the only one having to dig all that out. Prayer, everybody's on equal playing ground. And all of us have an opportunity to come straight to the throne of God. The enemy has caused us to see prayer as some passive thing that's really not all that important. We pray when we're in trouble. We pray when we need money. We pray when our kids aren't doing the way they think they should. But friends, let me tell you, as as Corey Ten Boom said years ago, prayer is not our uh, uh, spare tire. Prayer is our steering wheel. It's what guides our life. It's not what saves us when we're in trouble. Now, thank God we can pray when we're in trouble. And I think that we see a pattern of the disciples praying other times aside from when they're in trouble. But in this moment, they go to God. Why? Because they realize prayer is where I draw my strength. Prayer is where I draw my strength. When I get alone with God, He energizes me. He gives me wisdom. He gives me instruction. He gives me understanding. And He enables me... To be victorious. We see prayer. So when these disciples were up against the wall. They go to God and they said, God, we want you to look at their threatenings against us. And they begin to quote scripture. They start quoting the Old Testament about David. Why do the nations rage? And the heathens plot vain things. They begin to quote the Old Testament scriptures. And then they talk to God. Let's go back and look at their prayer. Let's go look at it. Can we do that? Acts chapter 4. And let's look at uh, verse number 24. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. And they said, Lord, you are God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is within them. What are they doing? They're acknowledging the supremacy of God. He said, "You all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The king of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They're saying, Lord, look at the rulers of the earth. They're fighting against us, and they're fighting against your plan. And then he says, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you've anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people together, they were gathered together against us to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now look at this. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak the word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice this. When they were in a troubled time and their back was up against the wall, they prayed and they said, God, we don't want to run from this. We want to run through this. And we need your power. Folks, can I tell you something? That when times get hard in our nation, when times get hard in your family, when times get hard in life in general, you've got to find yourself in a place of prayer and say, God, I want you to see what the world is doing and I want you to give me some boldness to be able to stand up. One of the saddest things I heard about a couple of months ago, I was talking to an ordained Assemblies of God minister And they made the statement to me. They said, well, if somebody came in in and told me to denounce Jesus, I don't know what I would do. Turn your papers in. What in the world kind of mess is that? Nobody wants a soldier, gets down in a foxhole, doesn't know if he wants to fight. We're in the army of the Lord. When we got saved... His life was exchanged for our life. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Honey, you can't kill a dead man. And if you don't know where you would stand in, in a situation where you had to give your life for Jesus, you need to think about it. Because I don't know if you know this, Toto, but we're not in Kansas anymore. This isn't I love Lucy. We live in a different America. We live in a different place where the Chinese, and I'm not speaking about racially Chinese, I mean the Chinese ideology, buying up property all around us, Muslim countries buying up stuff all around us. We're going to find ourselves a silent majority if we don't stand up and get some boldness and willing to stand up and be a witness for Jesus Christ. You better hear what I'm trying to say tonight. Prayer is vitally important. We see persecution. We see prayer. But then I love what happens. The next thing we see is power. We see power. You see, because you never walk away from prayer empty-handed. You never walk away from prayer empty-handed. They said, Lord, consider their threatenings against us. And here's what they said, Lord, they're they're casting their javelins at us. They're pelting their rocks at us. Lord, here's what we want to do. You know what happened in Acts chapter 3? That man got up and was healed. He said, Lord, we want you to do it again. They said, stretch forth your hand so that signs may be done in the name of your holy child, Jesus. They're saying, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And I want you to notice what the Scripture tells has happened. Go back with me to Acts chapter 4, verse number 31. I love this. It says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, there are several things in here that I want to look at. First of all, it says, and when they had prayed. First of all, we see the the importance of prayer. It says they were all assembled together. They were in unity. It says they were shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. See, the answer The answer that we find is going to God in prayer. The result we see is being endued with power. See, when they went to God in prayer, their prayer expressed their own human insufficiencies. You see, prayer, when we go to God in prayer on, on behalf of a situation like this, what they were saying, basically, this is my paraphrase, they were saying, God, we are helpless without you. Lord, you need to see what they're doing. And Lord, in our own flesh, we do not have the ability to fix this problem. But we need you to stretch forth your hand to heal. We need you to give us boldness. We need you to to help us. Folks, we need to pray because we need God to help us. They were expressing their inability to handle the situation on their own. Now, here's another interesting thing. Are you ready? Who were these people? It was the disciples. Peter and John and those other guys. At this point, it wasn't just the two. it It was the whole crew. Who were these people? This is awesome. These were the same exact people who were in the upper room. Now wait a minute. Hold on just a second. I thought these people were already filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, because Acts chapter 2, verse 4 says, and they were all filled. Didn't say one third, didn't say one one half, it didn't say one quarter. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. They were all filled. Somebody say they were all filled. So what's the deal? These same people are now in a place where they say, Lord, give us boldness. And the place where they were were shaken. And yet they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again and began to speak the word of God with boldness. That's interesting. Because there's something that tells us in this passage, these were people who were once baptized in the Holy Spirit. What does it show us? It shows us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit has an initial instance. There is a moment where we're all baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of tongues. That's the scriptural pattern. But what we have to see is that this experience is meant to continue on in our life. It's not a one-time experience. The theme song of our Christian life should not be the old hymn, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I already did that. I got the t-shirt. I've already been filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to do anything else. No, let me tell you something, honey. Your cup has a hole in it. And life has a way of shaking you, and the sun has a way of evaporating some things out of you. That's why you have to continually seek to be refilled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, when you go out in the world, you come to church on Sunday, you get filled up with the power of God, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and when Monday hits you, you shake out a little bit, somebody gets on your nerves, squeezes you a little bit, Wednesday comes along, somebody, something happens, and you spill out a little bit, and listen, and you find yourself a little bit less than what you started with. That's why you got to come back to God and say, Lord, I need a fresh touch tonight. I need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh outpouring in my life. Listen, our altars ought never be empty because all of us need a fresh touch from God. All of us need a fresh touch from God. Hallelujah. If we ever get to the place in our lives where we think we cannot experience any more of God's power, oh, we might as well get ready to go on to glory. But I know that if God has still left us on this earth for a reason, he has something for us to do and something for us to experience. So I want you to notice it says the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They spoke the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the pattern never changes. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Folks, we're just in Acts chapter 4. We're going to try to hit the whole book of Acts throughout the summer, but let me tell you something. Get to looking at Acts chapter 5. Get to looking at Acts chapter 6. You know what we find out? The devil tried to stop them, but it didn't work. You want to know why? Because they continued to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I called this message tonight a recipe for revival, and let me give it to you like this. In order to see revival, it often comes with persecution. It often comes with persecution. We don't like that. We don't, we don't, we don't love it. We don't, we don't wish for that. But the truth is, uh, we, we only need to be awakened because we're asleep. Amen? You only revive something that's not alive. Right? Something dies, you put a paddle on it, you try to revive it. And oftentimes circumstances have to come and shake us up, to wake us up, that drive us to prayer, and prayer drives us to power, and then, when God fills us with his power, we can experience an outpouring of his presence. Amen? How many of you tonight want to be a fire starter? Oh, man, I want to be a fire starter. Let me tell you, there's plenty of dry wood out there for you to catch on fire. And there's also plenty of wet blankets that like to try to put it out. But let me tell you something. The fire of God's presence is stronger than all of it. And God is good. Tonight, I'm going to bring us to a close. You can close your Bible. When we come back together, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 5 and then Acts chapter 6. And we're going to find out how God demonstrated his power. You know, God didn't play with his power. You're going to find out when we look at Acts chapter 5 that God didn't play with foolishness. Because that's, 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 the, that's the chapter where Ananias and Sapphira took a trip. Acts chapter 6, we're going to see the establishing of the church, the establishing of the New Testament deacons who helped Wait the table so the apostles could build the foundation of the early church. We're going to see God's desire is to outpour his spirit. Let me tell you something. Out of all the books of the Bible, let me tell you something from Genesis to Revelation. You want to hear something cool? The book of Acts is the only book that I found. I could be wrong, I stand corrected. But as far as I can find, the book of Acts is the only book in your Bible that does not have a formal closing. You know why? Cause it was meant to continue until the day that Jesus comes. It's not the acts of the apostles. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And guess what? The early 12 apostles may have died, but the Holy Spirit did not. Amen. And he still wants to reach out and change our world through us. Amen. I don't want anybody to go to hell on my watch. I want them to have to jump over prayer, I want them to have to jump over conviction, I want them to have to jump over all type of obstacles before they make a choice to deny the Lord. But listen, I believe in the local church and this book, the book of Acts is the blueprint pattern for the New Testament church. And I believe if we want the power of the book of Acts and the signs and the miracles of the book of Acts, you're going to have to look in the book of Acts and see that there was some prayer, there was some fasting, there was some consecration, there was some holiness, there was, come on, there was some putting God first, and we're going to see God do some great things. Amen. Stand up with me tonight. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Right where you are, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment.